Days. Tan Talk. Entertaining and informative radio for the Sunshine State. Looking for the best smoking ribs in town? Then we know exactly where you need to go. The Rib Shack Barbecue in Clearwater, located at 1850 Drew Street, is serving up freshly smoked ribs, chicken, pork, beef, and sausage, all served with their famous barbecue sauce. Pair it with their amazing sides like beans, mac and cheese, collard greens, potato salad, coleslaw, chips, and more. You are not going to be leaving hungry. Dine in, take out, or have it delivered with Uber Eats. 727-210-3077. That's the Rib Shack Barbecue, 1850 Drew Street in Clearwater. Looking for car shows? Then look no further than flacarshows.com. On your computer or on your mobile device, flacarshows.com is a comprehensive list of automotive events plus videos and news articles. Whether you're looking for car shows, cruise-ins, meetups, automotive festivals, cars and coffees, or anything else relating to an internal combustion engine, then this is a site for you. Check it out online or on your phone at flacarshows.com. A chance discovery takes us on a journey deep in time to a lost age unlike anything you've ever known. A prehistoric world where the middle of North America lay submerged beneath a sea of strange creatures. Now, National Geographic Entertainment brings us an epic adventure, 82 million years in the making. Before they lived in our imagination, they really lived. Sea Monsters, a prehistoric adventure. Right, you might know me from Quiet Right, Alice Cooper, House of Lords, and others. You're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Bang your head. Okay, listeners, welcome. You're tuned into Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and I'm your show host, Robert. Run your computers and Google Tantalk1340.com, and you can see. Me, live in the studios in downtown Clearwater. Don't forget to check out our website, GolfStreamMotorsports.com, where you can find out all about us. And if you've missed any of our 620-some-odd shows, visit NostalgicRadioAndCars.com. Good evening, Bobby. How are you? Oh, doing well. How about you? Pretty good. So, we had a little rain today. But anyway, all right, so tonight's guest is a musical guest. There was a clue at the very beginning. And he's kind of indirectly kind of connected. So stay tuned, ladies and gentlemen. We got some uh, we're have a fun, 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 fun show for you this evening. All right, car-wise, uh, well, you know, if you want to find out where all the car shows are, you definitely got to check out flacarshows.com. That is where all the stuff is. 
or can be found that's going on in the state of Florida. Of course, you know, in the summertime, you know, there's still some weekend car shows, the local stuff, you know. And uh, I mean, we'll, we'll 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 come out there for two hours, and uh, then when the sweat starts yeah, rolling yeah, down, yeah, 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 get back yeah. in the car and enjoy no air conditioning. I mean. and, oh yeah, right, that's right. These old cars. Let me tell you about these old cars. You know, actually, there was an auction uh, a couple of days ago. It's called Dudley's Auction up in big. Uh, a shout out to those guys up there in uh, what was that Inverness, someplace like that. Yeah. Anyway, they had a '74 uh, MGB GT, similar to our little. Beloved little Miss Money Petty. But what was interesting about this car, and 74 was a transition year for MGBs, okay? So the very, very early, early September, October, November cars had the 73-style chrome bumper guards with the little bumperettes on them, little rubber bumperettes. The January, February, March, April, kind of May, I'm not sure what years ours was or what month ours was, but those cars are, I think ours might be May, I'm not sure. Do you remember, Bobby? I think so. Okay, so those cars had what they called the big bumper guards, which were called Sabrinas, named after a very um, fit-looking young lady in England, and um, Sabrinas, and uh, and then um, and then the the late '74 cars, June, July, August, were just. Uh, murdered when they basically put the big ugly rubber bumpers on them but the 74 cars they still had kind of like the lower stance and the 75 to 80 cars had the high stance now in europe they still had chrome bumpers but you know we had to comply with you know bumper height restrictions and regulations and so they pretty much ruined everything past 74 tr6s triumphs i think um they still had the Sabrinas on them from 74, 5, 6, and then that was last year. They didn't put rubber bumpers on them, so they were still tastefully done. Anyway, this particular car was an early, early, early 74. And a wire wheel car, uh, nicely optioned. It was the popular, um, I'm going to say pumpkin orange, you know, that they had that year, which was a real popular color on MGBs. And uh, But what made this car interesting was, and I may have mentioned this before in one of the other shows, but uh, what made this car kind of interesting is the fact that it had a um, cloth or uh, vinyl sliding roof on it. Okay, now, they didn't offer MGB, MGBs from the factory didn't come with a steel sunroof. Special, special order you could have. Back in those days, you could do anything, but, you know, because everything was basically a la carte. And um, But this particular one had a folding top. Now, that was actually quite common in England, okay? A lot of cars had that, you know. Um, the ad referred to it as a convertible. It is definitely not a convertible. It is basically a sliding sunroof. Because if you remember the early 60s Volkswagens, um, late 50s, early 60s Volkswagens had basically a uh, material, and it was a kind of a vinyl, a sliding roof. Um, it was not uncommon to see a lot of cars back in the day that they retrofitted, particularly in Europe. Um, with a vinyl sliding roof. Kind of cool looking, though. So that made that car kind of unique. Um, I wasn't sure where that car would go. I, I follow Bring a Trailer a lot. Um, so do a lot of guys that listen to this radio show. Cause Bring a Trailer, you know, they started out, like I said, you know, 20-some-odd years ago. It was just a couple car stories. Then they threw a car auction, uh, a car on there to sell, and then they started an auction. And then basically, like I mentioned before, after Jay Leno bought that little Falcon, 63.5 Falcon, that basically put them on the map, and now everybody goes there. Now, the thing about being a trailer is, unlike a lot of the other websites, it is really, it caters more to the classic car guy 
the real true car enthusiasts. So they do put some oddball stuff on there every once in a while. I mean, sure, you'll find an excursion, you'll find a Bronco, you'll find a, you know, Escalator, something like that, you know, uh, something real low mileage, but you'll find Jaguars, Porsches, Ferraris, Ferrari wheels, Porsche wheels, X race cars, Triumphs, uh, you know, Aston Martins, just, you know, Maseratis, Lamborghinis are on there. In fact, there's a Ford GT on there right now that's some crazy amount of money. There was a 3500 Ferrari, uh, Maserati on there a while back. There's uh, a Diablo on there right now. There's uh, an F40 on there right now. Um, Boss 429, there's a 70 Boss 429 on there. And it's funny because, you know, you always hear about sniper bidding. You know, it goes on everywhere. It doesn't matter. I mean, we watch Alan and I, who tunes into the show a lot, a good friend of mine, is on here from time to time. They had a 68 Shelby on it. It was a barn find. And I think it, it hovered around 60, 50, 60 for a long time. It finally hammered it, I think, around somewhere in the 70s. And uh, barn find, GT500, not a KR. Okay, so it's just got the, the 428 in a PR motor, but not the Cobra Jet. And uh, automatic solid body but just you know dingy looking kind of like what i like to find you know barn finds by comparison they had a 68 kr on there that i'm not sure went how extensively they went through the car but it brought 210 so i mean the it's all over the board and you know you see some cars on there with 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 high mileage you know a high mileage porsche for example might bring 50 60 but a really 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 low mileage 88 mid 80s porsche might bring over 100. So it's all over the board. There's an MGC on there right now, which is a six-cylinder MGB GT. Um, it was a six-cylinder MGC GT, and, uh, which is a very good-looking car. And the thing about the MGB, the GTs, it's kind of a handsome-looking car. It really is. And I, and I say, bang for the buck, if you're buying a sports car, a European sports car, uh, bang for the buck, the MGB is, is really the ideal car. It's roomy. It's comfortable. It's a unibody car. It's very similar. It's the um, English version of a Mustang. Okay, so they're cheap. They're economical. Plenty of parts available. In fact, I forget what the name of the company is right now, but they actually you can you can special order a brand new MGB. Now think about that, a brand new MGB. And some of those cars are 50, 60 grand. In fact, there was one of those on there too not too long ago. So some pretty interesting cars on there and it's kind of like my go-to page now there's a couple other ones on there i go to you know duh i check out ebay you know i go to facebook and stuff like that i google project cars a lot you know because you just never know what shows up and then of course like a lot of guys it's just like when i walk into a building probably need to find that one clip bobby what else do you have in the garage um so you know and 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 that's i always kind of clown around and you know when i walk into um when i'm looking on 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 the show I uh, or are on a show uh, on on these ads. I'm always looking around what's in the background, you know, because you never know. I mean, so many times, and I, it happens to me too. I have something there, but I intentionally take a picture with something else in the background to stir up some interest because somebody might call, "Hey, what about that back there?" No, it's not for sale. But do you have one for sale? You see, so a lot of times that you know it, it, it can create a lot. Now I just gave away a trade secret, didn't I, Bobby? I shouldn't have done that. Bad daddy. Anyway, um, did you find it? Uh, I Okay. Anyway, um, so, you know, and it's kind of like when I walk into a guy's garage. I mean, I was in the garage, I don't know, some guy's shop years ago. I met this guy at a, at a swap meet. Uh, actually, it was over in Lakeland. And he had a bunch of Jaguar parts, E-type stuff. And I said, where's the rest of the car? He said, well, I cut it up. I said, damn, what'd you do? I said, the, those doors that you have, they came off a of roadster. He says, yeah, it was pretty rough. Well, you know, one guy's interpretation of rough is another guy's like not so rough interpretation okay uh, i'll give you a good example a friend of mine uh hank who listens to my show a lot had one of one they only made one 
1969 Boss 302, no, 69 Shelby G-Code, factory Boss 302. So Hank had the car years ago, years and years and years ago. He called me up and he says, hey, uh, when we were talking, he says, yeah, I need some parts for this Boss, this 420, uh, Boss 302. And I said, oh, okay, well, I don't have anything, but I might know something. Well, what year is it? And he says, 69. I said, 69. I said, what's it in? He says, well, it's in a Shelby. Well, it turns out they found the car in Michigan. It was the only one. Okay, well, I wanted, I always wanted another 69 Shelby, particularly a fastback. And I'm a Boss 2 guy, so I don't know. What, I, and I said, well, what kind of shape? Now, he only lived an hour from here. So I asked him, I said, well, what kind of shape it is? Oh, it's rough, 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 rough. Well, his interpretation of rough and my interpretation of rough are two different cars, you know. And I'm sorry to get that car because it's now worth, I mean, I could have bought the car for, you know, eight, nine grand back then. And the body was decent, but, you know, it was missing a few pieces. But, heck, I'd have put another motor in it. No big deal. We eventually found the stuff I needed. But the car's worth a million bucks now. Just like Mario Parada had a good friend of mine out of Michigan. He had, uh, we were at Elkhart Lake, and he had the 68 Shelby convertible sitting there. And he says, it's not a 68 Shelby, it's a 67. And I said, well, if it's a 67, it would have to only, there's only one they made, it was a prototype. And he says, yeah, but nobody knew anything about the car, and there was no paperwork yet. You know, I will grant you that SAC, Shelby American Automobile Club, has probably the finest record keeping of all the Shelbys. And I remember Howard Party, who's in charge of the 66, 67 Shelbys, and and uh, Dave Matthews is, or Jim Matthews, I think it is, um, is the 67 registrar, and Vince's Liska is 68, 69, 70. Anyway, so they have, uh, Carol Shelby allowed them to go through his Gardenia office attic, so to speak, and they found just boxes and boxes and boxes and boxes of original paperwork. None of this stuff was thrown out. It was all there, all original paperwork from back in the day, going back to the early 60s. Uh, you know, when they were building Cobras. And uh, so they've archived all this stuff, and it's in their Shelby registry. So the Shelby registry is so big now that they have a book for 65, 66, 67, 68, 69, and 70. So, you know, I mean, but the, but it's totally documented. So it's really hard to fake a Shelby, you know, because too many guys know. And, of course, I'm one of the state reps for the Shelby Club. I have access to a lot of the data. And, uh, you know, naturally I'll check something else. But anyway, so that car... They were selling for like 11, 12 grand at the swap meet. And it was part 67, part 68, but nobody really knew. And I looked at it and I haggled over it and I thought about it. And I could have got it for under 10 grand and I didn't buy it because now today that car is the car. Turned out it was one of one and it's sitting in South Florida and it's over a million bucks. But anyway. What else do you have in the warehouse? That's the one I'm looking for. So when I walk into a guy's shop the and warehouse. I'm. Warehouse. Not just a garage. Yeah, the warehouse. Yeah, when I walk into somebody's shop, guess what I do? I look. I'm all eyeballs. You know, I'm I'm going in there to look at a Mustang, but I'm scouring everything. I'm looking for signs. I'm looking for car parts. I'm looking for anything that's unusual that might have some value, antiques, whatnot. But anyway, so where I was going with this guy with the Jaguar deal. So he said, well, yeah, I still have all the stuff I him off the other car. So I went over there. Sure enough, there he had the bonnet. You know, it was usable. It had the doors, seats. Engine parts, transmission, transaxle, I mean, rear, uh, independent rear suspension, all this stuff. That was all fine and dandy. You know, I didn't have a Jag at the time, or I did. I don't remember what I did or not. Maybe I did. I don't know. I'll never tell. Anyway, um, so, uh, but I was staring in the attic. And guess what I saw? An old vintage Hobie surfboard, uh, like a 10 and a half footer. 
So out of everything that was in this guy's garage, with all the high rods, race cars, Jag parts, all kinds of cool stuff in there, but, you know, I mean, most of the stuff he had car-wise was, was Chevrolet, and I'm not a Chevy guy. But did have some Camaros in there, 67, 68, 69 Camaros in there, and some other cool stuff. But the only thing that I wanted was that surfboard. You know, I mean, it's a California kid thing, but uh, but it's a Hobie. You know, that was the, like the real board. Kind of like we had uh, uh, Bing Cope on our show a long time ago, Bing Surfboards, you know. So, but Hobie, Bing was like a big name out in California back in the day, Southern Cal. Hobie was kind of like mm, Southern Cal, but all over Northern Cal surf. I mean, uh, um, Santa Cruz, you see them a lot. So that was it. And of course, Hobie Cats, you know, the little catamaran things that we used to sail on and stuff like that. But anyway, enough of my... Uh, it's time to bring on our guest. So Bobby's going to go ahead and fire up the stereo here. We're going to play a little... Um, For which we have no records today. We have no records? We have no records. No records? Uh, my record collection is very... Oh, no. Very empty. Wait a minute. Uh, didn't I... You know what I did? I actually wrote it on my uh, thing oh. here. So why don't we go ahead and play... Uh, it's called Sunshine Sunshine Ship. And it's by Arthur Hurley and Gottlieb. Now, the reason I'm playing this is because these guys... browse my my collection here. Yeah. uh, yeah, yeah, What was the last name? uh, It was called Arthur Hurley and Gottlieb. All right. So let's go to G. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Okay. Now, so these guys... Okay. There's a connection here with our guest tonight. These guys basically went to University of South Florida. That's USF. And started a little garage band in a little town called Tampa, Seagar City, okay? And they had a couple of albums, a couple of hits back in the early 70s, 72, 73, 74, somewhere around there. So, but anyway, so we're playing a local garage band that made it big in a way. But it's a clue. But anyway, hey, you're tuned to the Nostalgia Green Cards. Don't touch that doll. We'll be right back with our special guest for the evening. Hey there, this is John Oates, and you're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. All right, we're back, and you're tuning into Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and it's time to introduce our special guests for the evening. This 
gentleman is a legendary drummer, played with notable bands like the one we just played, Arthur Hurley and Gottlieb. Uh, he played with Orleans, uh, most notably Peter Gabriel, and Hall & Oates. I'm delighted to welcome to the show, drum roll, Bobby. Hi, Jerry Murata. Jerry, how you doing? Wow, you you got Jerry Murata on your show? Yeah, he is a sensational skins beater. Are you sure? Is you sure it's the Jerry Murata? I'm so I'm told this is he is the will the real Jerry Murata please stand up? Are you? Or, <laughs> uh, you have to make sure that it, you do. It's Rick. He's Rick Murata's little brother. Correct? Rick Murata. No, wait a minute. He played with like legendary Motown bands like uh, Aretha Franklin and, and 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 bands like that. That that Rick Murata, and and this is his little brother Jerry. No, Frank Sinatra, Steely Dan, Linda Ronstadt. You know the list goes on and on. That's my brother. But what's funny is when uh, back around the time when you know um, I noticed. I don't know if you were playing it on on your show, but. The, the music that you were playing, Sunshine Ship, with band Arthur Hurley and Gottlieb. Which, yeah. Uh, that was, my brother made that record. He really? That record. And um, that's how I got the job with the, with those guys. And, um, uh, yeah, it's just, um, it, it, he, he was very instrumental in, in, uh, in, in getting me, you know, started in the, in the business as a drummer, but... Back in those days, I didn't have a name. I was just Rick Murata's little brother. You know, when I moved into New York, uh, I moved to New York City, and I was, you know, pl- you know, running around trying to do gigs and stuff. And um, they didn't know who I was, but they did know that I was Rick Murata's little brother. So that was my, uh, that, was, that, that's, that was who I was, Rick Murata's little brother. Anyway, it's great to be on the show. Thank you for having me. And... Uh, Let's let's talk about cars and music and maybe curls. Oh, okay, we can do that. Okay, no, now wait a minute. Let's see. Let's go back when you. So you were Rick Marauders. You are still are uh, Rick Marauders' little brother. Is that a, was that a shadow that you had to kind of like crawl out from underneath and, and put on a different pair of shoes, or did that? Uh, because a lot of times people go, yeah, you know, I was always overshadowed. But then, you know, a lot of times they kind of go out and do their own thing, which you did obviously when you played with some legendary bands. Well, you know, my brother was obviously very instrumental in getting me off the ground. Mm-hmm. Well, he, he connected me with Arthur Hurley and Gottlieb. They were on Columbia Records. They have like a top 40 single. Um, and, I mean, some people know this, uh, may already know this. I, I, was, uh, I was in summer school at, uh, after 11th grade. I was going to summer school to uh, eliminate going to... 12th grade to my le- my final year of high school and about a week before summer school ended I got an opportunity to do um, to, to, I went and played with kind of auditioned for these guys Arthur Hurley and Gottlieb they had wanted my brother to tour with them but he was too busy in New York so he said oh my little brother's perfect he, you know he's the he, he's probably the perfect guy for you guys so I went and played with them. They said, you're great. We want you to be in our band. We want you to play with us. So I had to go back to my teachers, the two teachers in summer school. And I was very fortunate. And my um, 
the two teachers let me take my final exams on the road with me. Wow. I finished high school in the summer of 11th grade. So I, I, I managed to eliminate uh, 12th grade, and I went out on the road with Arthur Early and Gottlieb. Wow. Well, that's funny you mentioned that because, see, in high school, I did the same thing. I took summer courses, so I wouldn't, so I could graduate. I wanted to try to make it so I could skip 11th, but what I did is I ended up graduating midterm in my uh, senior year. So I didn't, I only went uh, September, October, November, December, and then that was it. So I can definitely relate to that. So when you, when did you start picking up the drumsticks? Uh, picked up the sticks when I was 10. And did, um, the, the story was that my brother, my older brother, Rick, um, he was in college, first year of college. And this is like, like 1964, 1965. Mm-hmm. He, uh, his buddy, uh, where we grew up, was drafted, went to Vietnam, and uh, he was a drummer. He had a drum kit. My brother talked him into letting us, um, letting him have his drums at our house while he was gone. That's how it all began. Uh huh. So, did your brother play drum? He, your brother had already been playing drums, but since the drum set was there, then you started. You picked it up, no, so to speak. No, 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 no. He he wasn't playing drums. He he brought the drums into the house. He started banging around on them, and and I started banging around. I mean, I started listening to him play around on the drums, and then I I'd, I'd go up in the attic, and when he'd leave, I'd go up and kind of try to imitate him, and um, that's how that's how it all happened. Okay, now I play a little guitar, a little uh, piano, and I beat on the drums before. I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm just like, it kind of sounds like I got a beat. But l- let's assume I know nothing about the drums, and let's assume nothing, my listeners don't know anything about drums. How do you learn? I mean, are there notes? I mean, how do you how do you play the drums? I mean, how do you learn to play the What's What's the basics? Well, there's two ways. Um there's the the proper way, which is to take lessons, which is not how I did it for okay. my brother. But and the other way was that um, we were very into Motown, you know, uh, black music. Um, there was a lot of that going on in our house. Records like James Brown and you know just just generally Motown records. Mm-hmm. So we had a little record player up in the attic where the drums were set up, and we you know. I would just put a record on, and uh, I would just start playing the drums along to the record. That's how I learned to play. So you play by ear? Yeah. Okay. I learned to, that's how I learned to play the drums. Now, are there, are there styles and techniques? How do they, Tell us about styles and techniques. How does that work? Well, of course. There are styles. There are techniques. Um, I didn't really know styles or techniques. I just, my style was Motown. Okay. <laughs> that was basically it. So I was listening to a lot of black music, you know, at 10, 11, 12. You know, I just, that's what I was listening to. That, that was the style that I liked. That's mm-hmm. the style that I preferred. So, um, you know, that's what I did. Technique, I don't really have any technique because I just taught myself how to play. So, um, I don't know. I just, so I had a, I guess I kind of had a gift for it. I suppose I don't know. Okay, so like for example, so when you get hired for a band, and the you know like uh, Arthur Hurley and, and Godlib, that was kind of like a let's just say kind of like a pop pop band, you know, kind of like. So do you kind of listen? Do you sit down and listen to them play the guitar first or the piano? 
you know, a, a, a couple verses there, and then you just kind of like, okay, I kind of know where we're going because you don't want to overshadow those guys. You're kind, you're kind of like you carry the beat. I was kind of like a bass player. Bass player is the same thing, you know. Bass and drums kind of like set the tone, in my opinion, you know. And and the and right. and the guitar and the piano is kind of like I don't want to say fluff, but I mean it's the it's the instrumental part that kind of you know everybody kind of gets to. But but it's the beat that everybody kind of dances to, and that's as a result of the drums and the bass, guitar and um, yeah. So do you, um, they do their thing first, or do you start with a, a drum beat? I mean, how do you do it? Well, look, 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 here's the way this all started. Okay. They had a record. Yeah. I listened to the record, kind of learned the style. They were very much like, ironically, back then, the, the style was like Crosby, Stills, and Nash. Okay. It was that kind of music. You know, acoustic guitar, violin, and uh, the bass. Piano, what the third guy played piano and bass, and they all sang vocal group. Very, very much like pop, uh, you know, um, acoustic. Awesome, really good. Typical music uh, of the time, like the band Bread, mm-hmm. um, or uh, there was there was a, a whole bunch of artists back then. James Taylor, you know. So I mean, it, along as I, I started to develop in my my taste in music as I got a little bit bigger, 15, 15, 16, I started listening to stuff like James Taylor, um, Jackson Brown, you know, the California kind of thing. And and so that that's how I learned um, I kind of listened to their record. I, le- I, 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 I I sort of learned the songs and it wasn't hard for me to, to play that stuff. I, it was kind of in instinctive for me and then and then little by little you know you start you know the one of the guys will come in with a song idea and we'll just start jamming and 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 you know that's how it that's how it all happens i mean that's how i developed um i developed that the ability to to um dive in uh to a song idea and and uh, and play along to it and turn it into something so, okay, so like you always hear about, oh, the guy's doing a drum solo. And so did you get attention to drum solos? Is that something that you kind of create on your own when you do a solo? How does that work? Um, is this a trick question? No, 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 I'm serious. I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm playing dumb-dumb right now. I, I really don't know, and I'm trying to come up with a decent question to ask you, because I mean, I, and, and I'm just saying, okay, so like when you do, you know, like when you, I mean, it's kind of like, you know, when you do a riff, you know, you're sitting there playing around with it, and you're going, okay, yeah, I kind of like this. I mean, you're basically playing pentatonic scale for the most part, but I don't know if you have that in the, in a, in the drum world. I don't know how that, I, so I'm, I'm hoping you can educate me a little bit here. Well, let me answer the question. Sure. Answer the question. Reason, you'll know why I asked you if it was a trick question. Oh, okay. Now, when I answer it, because when I and when I started playing with Hall and Oates, uh-huh. we went out and we used to do a song called Sweet Soul Music. I think it was Arthur Connolly. Arthur Connolly. Like, do you like good music? Yeah, yeah. Sweet Soul Music. So we used to do that. And then in the song, there was a break and everybody took a solo. So when it came time for me, I I we I stopped and because I would I did not want to play a drum solo, so I would I would stop and 
uh, the first time I did that with them, I sang one of their songs, um, a part of one of their songs. But over time, um, I never once played a drum solo. Really? Sometimes I would mime a drum solo, which the audience at first thought I was having like an epileptic fit. (laughs) And then sometimes I would tell jokes. I would come out front. I would stop the show. And um, I would would, uh, read from a book. uh, But it was always comedy. It was always funny. And uh, people... Many people would stop me on the street and said, tell me that, that it was, they saw me with Hall and Oates and it was the best drum solo they ever heard because they didn't really want, some people don't like drum solo and I couldn't play a drum solo. So I had to, I had to figure out what to do instead of playing a drum solo. So that's why it's a trick question because I kind of got, back then I got kind of known for being the guy who can play a drum solo, but you know, turned it into like um, a moment in the show that was still kind of special, but wasn't me doing the drum solo. Well, you're basically a soliloquist then. I think that's the term they use, right? I'm a soliloquist. Solo- yeah. <laughs> wow, that's really cool. So let me ask you a question. Okay, so you were with Arthur Hurling Gottlieb, and then you, you were with Orleans for a while, too. So um, how did how do you make the transition from one band to another? Is it something you do? You get invited? Um, how did it work for you? Well, once again, my brother... My brother knew John Hall, the kind of leader of Orleans. Mm-hmm. At the time, Orleans was probably my favorite band on the planet. Oh, really? Uh, incredible. Incredible band. In fact, my girlfriend in high school, um, she went to, uh, she was a year ahead of me. So she went to college in Ithaca. She went to Ithaca College in upstate New York. And the first time she came back, she had this album and she gave it to me. She said, this plays up around um, Ithaca all the time. They great the record. It was Orleans. And I became an instant Orleans fan. Phenomenal band. And um, and then one thing led to another. Um, friend broke up with me. She dumped me. And then my brother um, somehow connected me with John Hall because they were looking to add another drummer to the band. I went and auditioned for Orleans. I got the job, and and I beat out a lot of drummers. A lot of drummers wanted that job, so I got the job. And and as a kid, I think I was eighteen or nineteen. Um, cut cut to my high school girlfriend dumping me, and then the next year, I'm pulling into Ithaca huh. to play a concert at Ithaca College, and I'm playing Orleans. So. That was a bit of a funny, kind of a funny scenario. I think they call it irony. It was, you could call it whatever you want. <laughs> it was, you know, sweet revenge. Sweet revenge. Well, I uh, uh, remember the song, You're Still the One, and I am married to my wife of uh, 39 years, and we used to dance to that song. So I yeah. remind her that she's still the one. So, yeah. there you go. So, that was the first, like, hit record I ever played on. So what was it like for you at a young age to be with a band that had a top hit? Like, I mean, you know, Arthur Hurley and Godley had some top hits too, but, you know, but now you're with Orleans and, you know, that, 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 you know, you're still the one was, that was played everywhere. I mean, they just, they literally just 
that was on every radio station around here forever. Well, yeah, let me still the one was I think it made it to number two on like on the top ten, you know, in top forty, you know, in, in America. Mm-hmm. It, it I think it ended up up to number two, and it probably would have been number one, except for the number one record at the time was a record called Disco Duck. Oh, <laughs> disco, disco duck. <laughs> exactly, and it was, and it was a novelty song. So there was, there was no, there was no beating disco duck at that. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. We only made it to number two. I believe it was number two, and but um, you know nobody was gonna gonna displace disco duck from number one. At that particular moment, so. Um, but anyway, you know. <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> That's so funny. That's great. But you know, Orleans had a song before still the one called "Dance with Me." Oh yeah, "Dance with Me." Da 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 da. da dance with. I remember that one. That was a big hit. Mm-hmm. Big hit. So. Um, and it was because of Orleans is really how I ended up in Woodstock, New York, which is where I live, because they were based in Woodstock. And uh, at the time, I had just moved into New York City, and um, I grew up in the suburbs of New York. And the last place I wanted to be was in the country. You know, I wanted to be in Manhattan. So, but um, I joined Orleans, and I would come up to Woodstock to rehearse. And you know, we're kind of based up here, but I was living in Manhattan, and then. Uh, it was that was in 1975. It, 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 I finally did move up to Woodstock in 1986. Um, long after I was, uh, I was, I had moved on, and uh, you know, I had been playing with Peter Gabriel for ten, almost ten years. Played with Hall and Oates, did three records with them, and a lot of other stuff in that period between between 75 and 86. So. Um, uh, so yeah, that's 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 the that's that story. Well, now, so okay, so you made the transition from uh, you know it's funny you're talking about Woodstock. Everybody thinks Woodstock was where you know Woodstock happened, but apparently Yasser Park is I don't know miles and miles and miles down the road, right? But Woodstock was kind of like the next city around here. Is that how that thing how that all worked? That, that, Woodstock's a small town. Max Yasser's farm was probably I'm going to say maybe eighty miles from Woodstock. Mm-hmm. 80 miles from Woodstock. So, you know, it wasn't where the festival happened. The festival was supposed to happen in Woodstock, but at the last minute, the guys who were, you know, the promoters neglected to get permits. Mm-hmm. And so um, as the thing started to grow, I think the town of Woodstock did not want to have, you know, thousands and thousands of dirty, filthy, smelly... Hippies? Know, <laughs> um, so... Uh, they had to scuffle to find a property, and I think I think really what it had to be was it had to be owned. They had to find a big property, and it had to be privately owned, so that the person who owned it could give them permission to do it. And so that's what they did, and they found Maxie Asger's farm, and he allowed them to uh, to do the concert there, and the rest is history. Did you uh, during that period of time were you uh, fortunate enough to go to Woodstock or was you was it just a uh, sub? Pardon me. First, first of all, I think I was about thirteen. Yeah. 
basketball, which my parents still won't let wouldn't let me go to Woodstock. Okay, they, <laughs> they won't let me go to Woodstock, but um, and I wasn't really interested in Woodstock, you know, because I mean the bit the the artists like for instance. I like like flying the family stone with like I, that I like, but but I wasn't into the like, the who and I wasn't into the the rock element of it. You know, I I was still kind of a, a you know like a Motown black you know black knob. It had to be black music, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, so I wasn't really I wasn't really interested in Woodstock. I didn't have any interest in going. So. Well, you know, Motown's basically funk and soul, you know, and that's some good stuff. I mean, you know, when you start about the early Jimmy Hendrix, or Jimmy Hendrix, um, uh, well, my one just went blank. You know, Supremes, uh, Martha and the Vandellas, um, who's uh, uh, the, the Temptations. Temptations, yeah, you know, and, uh, you know, those, uh, you know. You know, Memphis, then there's Philly, Detroit, you know, Motown, you know, Stevie Wonder, you know, it goes on and on. It goes on and on. It's like... Well, now that brings something up because you mentioned Philly. Isn't that where American Bandstand started? You know, it may have. Very possible. I don't know. I was going to ask you if you'd ever been, if you ever played on American Bandstand or any of the TV shows. Now, wait a minute. You were, if you were Peter Gabriel... And, and and John Oates in the in the late seventies early eighties obviously that was the big MTV era right? Uh, it was the very early days of MTV. So when you were you ever involved in any of the videos that uh, Hall and Oates and Peter Gabriel did? Uh, not Peter Gabriel, but Hall and Oates. We yeah. did um, we did a video that was uh, I can't remember. I, it might have been called uh, Intravino. Um. <laughs> this is very early on. This is very early on in the in the uh, in the days of of MTV when it really first just got started. But we did do a video, and it's probably on YouTube somewhere. I think it might be called Intravino. Um, it was from a record called Ecstatic. That was the first record that I did with um, with Daryl and John, and. Uh, it was a great experience playing with those guys. That's really my, I'd have to say, that's my, my wheelhouse is that rock and soul, you know, because uh, they're, they're, very, they're very influenced by Motown and black music as well. So that was uh, really, really fun, really fun playing with them. I, I, maybe, maybe the most, the most fun gig, um, that I ever that I ever had was playing with Hall and Oates, just musically, just because of um, the music. The music really re- resonated with me. I mean, uh, that we we had the same kind of background and influences. Interesting. Um, what about now? Daryl has uh, he does this thing. It's called Daryl's House or something like that, where he has a lot of musicians come in. They all just sit around. And you guys jam. Were you ever? Uh, did you ever get a chance to participate in any of that? No. No. Not yet. Right. Like my, I've moved on, you know, long gone from from Daryl and John. You know, I, I just moved on. You know, at the time I was working with Daryl and John, and I was working with Peter Gabriel at the same time. Oh, really? John really wanted me to to be to to, to you know to commit myself to Hall and Oates, mm-hmm. um, which I I chose to stay loyal to Peter Gabriel because. 
I had been playing with Peter for a couple of years, and that's just um, that was my choice. Um, in hindsight, you know, musically, Hall and Oates uh, was much more my style. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, I did both for about two or three years. I I managed to to, to be able to go back and forth between Peter and Hall and Oates. Interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, it was a, it was really a great time for me. You know, I was I was really in you know I was really in the loop. I was really in my prime. You know, I finished a tour with Daryl and John in Tokyo, and everybody went home, and I got on a plane and flew to England, and uh, and 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 started rehearsing that day, the first day with uh, Peter with Peter and his band for a tour with Peter. That went like from from one, from Hall and Oates to Gabriel, and I was going back and forth for like about two or three years. Pretty amazing, pretty magical. Wow. Now very you, go ahead. Very different kind of music. Totally different music from one to the other. Yeah. How would you describe Peter Gabriel's music? I mean, it's not techno, but it's got kind of a, you know, it's it's got some interesting music. You know, I mean, it's kind of, I don't know, I I, I call it. It's kind of. I mean, there's, like, there's no just real, there's no really categorizing. There's no categorizing. I mean, like, Tall Notes is kind of like you know, kind of commercial, kind of dance music. You can kind of get to it, and it's every it's real beady, you know, and everything like that. And then Peter Gabriel's is a little. It's almost kind of like in a way, and I don't want to, you know, David Bowie was David Bowie was a little different. Pink Floyd's a little bit different. It's kind of and and there's kind of a message in this song, but the but the the music itself is. I'll just say it's a little different. I don't know how you describe it, but it's definitely Peter, Peter's unusual. You know, it comes from the progressive background. Yeah, Genesis. Um, it's very theatrical. He's he's you know he's you know brilliant. You know, he's an amazing guy. He's an amazing creator. You know, he's an amazing. Um, you know, uh, he, he he he. I don't know. I mean, it was I. It really changed my life in a lot of ways working with Peter, and I learned a lot about, you know, it changed my taste, it changed my approach to making music, and it changed the way I listen to music. You know, he had a you know, major influence on me. I, I was very fortunate to have gotten that job. All right, so let's fast forward to today. So today you have a production studio up in Woodstock, and you tour, and you do two, uh, you, you're with. Um, uh, you do like a uh, uh, Peter Gabriel type tribute, and you also do Steely Dan type tribute music too, right? With two different bands, is that how that works? I'm, there's a it's a project called Pretty Project. Okay. Um, music from the period of time that I that pretty much that I work with Peter. Okay. Uh, and and uh, it, it, there's a it's a great group of guys, um, uh, including Trey Gunn, who's who was in King, uh, King Crimson for many years, and he, he and I worked together with Robert Fripp for a while. And uh, Trey's an awesome musician, and uh, and and the rest of the guys in the band are also quite, you know, oh, they're all great, great players. Um, and uh, so there's there's that, and. Uh, then there's uh, also Reeling in the Years, which is um, it's it's really a Steely Dan tribute band. 
you know, mm-hmm. um, which uh, is, you know, the music is just phenomenal. I mean, it's such, it's such great music, and I'm such a big fan of Steely Dan. I listen to them a lot, you know, mm-hmm. um, and so that's fun. And it's a big band, you know, it's like usually 11, 11 pieces. Sometimes my brother will join us, and my brother played on three Steely Dan records. Oh, really? Three, three of their albums. So um, sometimes he'll join us, um, and then it becomes an even bigger band. But, you know, we've got four horn players, two guitar players, uh, including Jesse Grest, who's a guitar player that's been playing with Todd Rundgren for the last 30 years, and uh, Jay Collins, a sax player who's, who plays with Donald Fagan. Um you know, who, along with Walter Becker, you know, created Steely Dan mm-hmm. and, and still tours, although Walter Becker, sadly, Walter Becker passed away a few years ago. Um, great band. Um, I'm also, I play with a band called Annie and the Hedonists, which is like a swing band. Oh, really? Doing an incredible. I love those guys. So it's like this five piece band and the swing from like, the early 1900s, um, and uh, I, I, I love playing with those guys. I also, I still do a lot of recording, um, either with people um, who come up, who come to the studio, or will come to, I have a studio in my home, as well as Dreamland Studios, which is a big residential studio uh, not far from Woodstock, which I, I run. Um, and uh uh, I still end up working on on recordings with people, which they, they'll either send me files to, to play on, or they'll come and we'll you know we'll go into the studio together. Um, yeah, you know, just uh, I'm I'm always doing tons, tons of different things. I do a lot of I'm producing right now named Michael Keane, great singer songwriter. I, I, I produced a woman named Sarah Parada. We made a record called Blue to Gold, which is a phenomenal record. She's a great singer-songwriter, you know. And um, what else am I doing? I have a group called Fragile Fate that I, with, a, with a guy named Rupert Greenell, who's the keyboard player in a band called The Fix. If you know The Fix, they've been around forever. Oh, yeah. They've been together for 40 years now. Um and a guy named Eric Taylor, who, who's kind of the leader of that band. Um, I do different things. I a lot of different things. I play every... For the last four years, I talked to my brother, who lives on Martha's Vineyard, which is an island off of Massachusetts. Um, he spends the summers there. Um, I talked him into doing the Murata Brothers Band, so my brother and I play double drums in a club in the Portuguese American club in, um, it's in, I guess it's in Oak Bluff, uh, on Martha's Vineyard. So we do that every, every Wednesday night. Um, that's a lot of fun. Great band, great, great, great players. Um, uh, you know, I'm, I'm always doing, uh, I'm always, I've got, always got a bunch of things, a lot, bunch of projects going. Sounds like it. Jerry, we are out of time, but real quick, okay, if people want to find out more about you, how do they go about doing it? Um, well, uh, in 20 seconds. <laughs> it's, 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 and just, you know, www.jerrymorata.com. 
There's www.dreamlandrecording.com for the studio and me. There's the Murata Brothers on Facebook. There's Jerry Murata on Facebook, Instagram, you know, all of it. I'm easy to find. Just Google me. Just Google you. All right. Well, Jerry, um, you know what? We didn't get a chance to talk about your cars, but real quick, we got another really 15 seconds. Name off some of the cars you had real quick in 15 seconds. Oh, 69 GTO, 67 MGB GT, a 67, 68, 64, 67, 68 Corvette. Um, you know, those are the, and you know what? Now I'm an old guy. I've got a, a Prius. <laughs> a Volvo XC90. Oh, wow. Tone the cars down. Well, Jerry, I want to thank you for hanging out with us here at Nostalgia Rated Car. It truly was a real treat and a real pleasure to have you on the show. We'll definitely have to get you back. We'll probably have you come back maybe when you have uh, Jeff on, if we can get Jeff on the radio show, and you guys can uh, double-team us. That'd be a lot of fun. Get us on together. I'm Jeff, we're, we're still very close, Brad. Sounds like a winner. And the fact that you've got a Clearwater connection, too. Absolutely. I've been... Jeff is the one who said... Um, I've been looking in Bradenton. I've been I've been on Zillow looking, looking you know seeing what, looking at property to potentially you know find a place down in that area. Wow! All right, Jerry, we're up against the clock. I want to thank you very much for hanging out with us here at Nostalgia Wedding Cards. I want to thank my special guest Jerry Marauder, legendary drummer for uh, Orleans, Peter Gabriel, Hall and Oates, and Anthony or Arthur Hurley and Godlin. Jerry, take care. We'll talk to you in the future. Thank you very much. In the meantime, I want to thank all my listeners for tuning in to Nostalgia Weekend Cars. Don't forget, every Tuesday between 7 and 8 p.m. on the Tan Talk Radio Network for the most fascinating names in uh, motorsports and music. And uh, in the meantime, I'll see you at some of the car shows. Stay safe, drive carefully, and love your family. WTAN, Clearwater. FM 106.1. WDCF, Dade City. FM 102.3. WZHR, Zephyr Hills. FM 104.3. Listen.